Ever Podcast presents Fill the Gap, brought to you by Evertrain Productions. This episode was recorded on a digital platform. Some video and audio glitches occur during this recording. Well, uh, uh, this is my partner, Joanne. This is me, Jael. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for, for your time. As Joanne told you, no, we want to talk about your story of success, but in order to motivate all the people that know of you or even haven't heard of you, you know, the point is that motivating people through storytelling. John and myself, we love movies, we love film, and uh, we've had the great privilege to collaborate in two short films, but of course we want more, right? But the beauty of film is storytelling, and we believe that through this medium, we are doing some storytelling with uh, fascinating people just like yourself. So thank you very much, Vince. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. Well, so Vince, so we are um, really, really, really uh, impressed with your love for New Mexico. Hmm. Can you tell us about that? Totally. Yeah. Um, let me first just start off by acknowledging, you know, in this, in this current political environment, this current social environment, social justice environment, um, I've had the opportunity to reflect on my trajectory as a business person, as a creative, as a New Mexican, um, as a white male. And um, I just want to first acknowledge up front that I recognize how much privilege I've had as a, as a white man in this world um, to be given second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances, uh, you know, to have a, a background that is, has some sketchy aspects to it, um, to not have any business uh, experience prior to Meow Wolf, n no college degree, um, but to be able to be given the opportunity to even like speak on, you know, speak as an expert in certain fields or to speak um, as a CEO, as an ex-CEO, to speak as a founder of a company. I mean, there's just, um, I feel very um, close to that privilege right now. And I just want to acknowledge that um, and just, just state that like, I'm going to do everything in my power moving forward in my career to um, keep that privilege front and center and to make sure that I'm making space for non-white male individuals to um, have more opportunity um, in this world. Um, so I just wanna start off with that. And, uh, you know, to talk about New Mexico, yeah, I mean, New Mexico's home. New Mexico is my heart. New Mexico is where I was born and raised and you know, I, I was a kid in Santa Fe, New Mexico, with um, a pretty diverse uh, family. I had um, first cousins uh, who uh, my aunt, you know, married into, uh, my aunt by, by blood married into, who, um, you know, are multi-generational um, uh, Hispanic, New Mexicans, Spanish, New Mexicans. I have um, cousins who uh, are, are second generation Mexican Americans because an, another aunt married um, a Mexican immigrant. 
Um, I have a cousin who's full-blooded Lakota because my uncle ma married a full-blooded Lakota woman um, and had a, uh, who already had a daughter. So I grew up in an environment of such a like diverse, multi-ethnic uh, family um, that to me really painted the beauty of New Mexico for me. Um, I was able to, um, I was able to really understand the, really understand the heart up here in Northern New Mexico. The like, it's not really about economy. It's not really about money. It's not, you know, it's about home. It's about family. It's about tradition. It's about the land. It's about taking it easy, the land of manana, like it's, um, you know, it's, it's our own special little, it's our own special little enchanted zone, you know, and like, I, and, and so much of that. And, and also like another piece to it that I, that, you know, is that Santa Fe is fucking weird. Santa Fe is a hippie, fringe, psychedelic, weird place, you know, that has always attracted weirdness and has always been on the outskirts of, of, of reality. <laughs> um, Santa Fe is the capital of Northern, you know, Northern New Spain. And it was so far away from the, it was so far away from like Mexico city that it kind of was on its own Island and it was kind of forget, forgotten about uh, by, by the, uh, by the by the Spanish and so it kind of has always existed in its own in its own little pocket you know and so that's that's informed a lot of what of 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 what meow wolf of where meow wolf comes from um, so yeah you know art beauty weirdness fringe being on the fringe being on the outside looking in that's all that's all comes from New Mexico that all comes from New Mexico um, Vince, integrity uh, yeah. being a man of your word like stuff like that you know so yeah. i um i love it here it's it's my home yeah vince i read um a couple articles i did a little googling on you where you pretty much uh, mentioned just like you said that you come um from a little bit of a rough background you know uh and you mentioned that by the age of 32 uh you were making 50 bucks a day you were living with your parents and you were throwing underground parties and pretty much wondering what to do with your life. And that really resonated with me because right now, currently, I am in a pretty much same situation. <laughs> I'm 33. I'm currently living with my parents, except for the party throwing. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not much of a party thrower. Uh, yeah. My whole life I've he thrown like- great parties. He used to throw great no, parties. No, <laughs> my whole life I've thrown like three parties and only one of yeah. them was kind of good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Uh, but it, it, like, like I mentioned, that really resonated with me because just like me and just like you were, there are a lot of people, both men and women, who are in very similar situations. You're like, man, I'm a certain age. I've done shit with my life. I'm trying to, but I just can't find a way. Uh, what was the shifting point for you that pointed you towards Mew Wolf and the path that you walk and the path that you are right now? What do you think was like the key thing that happened? that really told you, okay, you go that way. And that's where things are going to happen. 
Yeah, you know, we had been we had been doing a lot of meow stuff, like kind of on the side. Like we were working restaurant jobs, delivery jobs, hotel jobs, and then we'd get off of work and we would start we would go and do meow wolf stuff. And at some point, I was just like, I you know, I want meow wolf to be my main thing, you know, and um, and I and I want I want projects to be my main focus. And I realized at one point, like I, I was in between jobs, and I. Was certain, I was looking for a new restaurant job because that's that's that was the easiest thing to, to 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 land in Santa Fe, and I remember thinking to myself, you know what? If I land another restaurant job, then I'm just going to be a server again, and I actually need to not look for another restaurant job. I need to stop actually looking for work, and I need to instead like just envision the projects that I want to create and work towards those, the delivery of those projects. And, and, and it might mean that I am broke. It might mean that I have to borrow money from my parents. It might mean that I'm having to live at my parents' house. It, you know, but I need to invert this thinking and I need to put projects first. And that was, a, that was around 2012, 2012, 2013. And for a couple of years, I hustled, you know, I got like whatever grant I could influx of cash I could get. I, um, you know, any sort of gig that I could land, but everything was always pointed towards these projects that I was trying to get off the ground. One of which was like a three day music festival in downtown Santa Fe called Nightwave that kind of like utilized multiple venues. Um, what happened in those two, two years was I attempted and I failed. And I learned from the failure and I attempted again and I failed again. And some people, most people would say that I didn't fail. Most people say that the things I worked on were successes, but like to me, I was focused on how things didn't work out the way they were supposed to. And I think it's important to be able to do projects, get to the finish line, critical, like just get to the finish line of a project, look at it and recognize its failures and be like, okay, so I could have done this better. I could have done this better. And so that happened for a couple of years. And then, you know, it was time for me to just be like, fuck it, we're going to go big and we're going to do the big Meow Wolf project. And I, um, I saw the bowling alley where the house of eternal return currently is. And I saw that building and, and I said, okay, I'm going to now venture down this path on this project for whatever it's worth put it put all my all my eggs in this basket and um you know that that was the that was the that was the intent and then the big obviously the big shift for me was that george r, r. martin the author of game of thrones uh decided to take a huge risk and partner with meow wolf on the project and he um he was a friend of mine. I worked with him. He and I communicated quite a bit. He believed in me. He trusted me. And it was like, it, you know, it was like I'd been waiting my whole life for somebody to take a chance on me, you know, to put aside their preconceived notions, to put aside whatever, you know, judgments they have of, of, of my attitude, my past, my character, and just say like, we believe in you. And George was the first person one of the first people. Uh, the mayor of Santa Fe, Javier Gonzalez, was also a big uh, person who did that for me. 
Um, but it really ga gained me confidence um, and, and, and obviously put the, put the project on a path towards um, potentially being successful. And then that's where everything came from. You know, I, I would say that to others who are in the same position, I oftentimes say this, there's, there's four distinct stages uh, to making something happen. Stage number one is envisioning. It's creating the vision. Stage number two is accessing the resources, basically getting the money. Stage number three is using that money to build the vision, usually by hiring people. Stage number four is complete the vision. And it's always in that order. And what happens is that when you're in stage one, thinking about the vision, you start to convince yourself that the vision isn't worth creating because you don't have the money for it. You don't know who's going to build it. You don't know who's going to do it. But it's like, fuck those things. Those things are like later on in the stages. Don't worry about those yet. Just construct the vision. Create what it is in your mind. Write it down on paper. Put the numbers together. Draft it. Illustrate it. Whatever. Create the vision. Then worry about the money. Then worry about hiring people to make it happen. But people will like stop themselves from actually envisioning something because they're so worried about the future steps. And it's like, don't worry about those future steps. Like let yourself actually concoct a real vision for you, for your life, for your career, for your project, whatever, and then start working towards it. So that was a huge, a huge thing for me was just like realizing that like, oh my gosh, anything can happen in this world as long as you, you allow, allow yourself to create, to fully concoct the vision around it. Vince, actually that is really powerful because you're right. A lot of people limit themselves when they're creating the vision because they don't have the resources or the capital, right? Instead of just conveying the vision to everybody. And that's like the hard step because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody's going to believe in your vision, right? So, I mean, uh, I had the privilege to go into the house of eternal return, which is amazing. And for me, it was just like a, a trip a journey in somewhere in time it was it was amazing man i mean what you've created you and your team created it was great and and i want and you start off with the vision when you created the vision vince did you create the vision yourself or did you partner with all the people that you were doing the uh because you have a before being a company you were a collective meow wolf right or was everybody involved in the vision how how i mean look at what you've made and now it's going to denver and it's going to vegas what was the original vision when you started besides just having a venue for artists? The vision, the vision for Meow Wolf um, as a collective was um, created by hundreds of people who worked on a volunteer basis on a short-term, sometimes long-term basis with us, like a sort of revolving door of people who involved themselves and the collective morphed and shifted and it wasn't an official business or entity at the time and it was a bunch of people who um contributed to the to the culture of meow wolf um the business of meow wolf and the house of eternal return was and the and the sort of structure of the business and and all of that was largely constructed by six um, what we, we call the founders, um, and there's six 
people who had been with the collective since the beginning and, and, and all had different skill sets, you know, very artistic, uh, very brand, uh, brand savvy, very marketing savvy, uh, project management savvy, technology savvy. And so it was a really good group of six individuals, um, myself, Corvus, uh, Matt, Katie, Emily, Sean, and, and we got together and started to craft the, the larger vision of Meow Wolf and the business vision and started to make very broad strokes around here's the type of business we're going to be, here's the type of exhibition we're going to create. And then what we did is we went to the collective and we invited people back into the collective through employ- employment and said, all right, here's the, here are the parameters, here are the rails. Now everybody fill in the gaps and let's make this, let's make House of Eternal Return, let's make this exhibit. And we started to provide space, like literal space in the exhibition for people to start to like design and envision their own piece to it. Um, And I think that's also a good lesson is that like it's important to set the parameters and it's important to set the parameters broad at first and then fill in between those broad parameters and get, get more and more specific as you zoom in and probably bring more and more people into your vision and allow them to collaborate with the vision as you get more and more specific. As long as you set those broad parameters, then, you know, you can, anything can happen within those parameters and, 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 your, and the idea, the vision remains safe. So, you know, it remains, it remains protected. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's that. So it definitely was not me uh, who came up with the entire vision. Um, I was, I, I beat the drum. I was the one being like, all right, like we got to move on to this thing or we got to move on to this thing or we got to do this thing. And it was like, I was always kind of like forward movement um, energy. Um, and yeah, you know, like now it's crazy because it's like the entire company is, is moving on these gigantic projects in Denver and Vegas and yeah. other cities. And I, I'm like, only only sort of involved you know like i it's it's like it's amazing to see just all the work people are putting into these projects you know and all the vision that's going into these projects from hundreds of people you know it's wild and and ben so when you mentioned uh, i mean with what you started because this goes with with what you're saying right now uh your post that you that you put on facebook uh what was it last week or this week which was really powerful because it talks about your past, you know, which is really uh, not typical f- for a CEO to do that because a CEO wants to maintain this business image that pe- he just doesn't want to share all the bad stuff that he did, he or she did. And you had the balls to do it. You had the guts to do it and share it. You know, that was really inspiring because a lot of people look up at you and they say, oh, in order for me to be like Vince, I need to go to school, do this, do this, do this, and do that. And despite the white privilege that you mentioned, you were a man with a lot of um, skills. You're a man of a lot of skills, vision, and ability. So how does that make you feel in the sense that Okay, you had this past. You be, you became a visionary, an artist. Um, 
were you always an artist and that was your getaway and then you had the chance to become a businessman with art? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I was an artist as much as I was. Um, I've always been an organizer, um, an organizer of happenings. Um, I, and, you know, sometimes those happenings were parties, parties at my apartment, parties uh, out in, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, sometimes those happenings were road trips or, you know, I like to curate things with other people. And um, I started to write theatrical plays in my 20s and kind of use theater as a way to be able to do that sort of curation and collaboration with others. Um, that then kind of turned into some nonprofit work that I did with an arts nonprofit here in town uh, in my in my mid twenties, and then that then transitioned into Meow Wolf. Um, and while while at Meow Wolf, it's like I was organizing creatively and kind of a, a sort of choreographing from a creative standpoint. But I quickly realized that I was not the most skilled creative. Um, that I, what I was, you know, there's better artists than me. There were better like thinkers than me, um, creative thinkers. But what I was really good at was talking. <laughs> and I was really good at showing, uh, you know, presenting well and getting money, you know, like I, and, and, and it was like, you know, when, when we opened our very first exhibit back in 2008, Nobody was thinking about money, but, but like the, you know, 10 minutes before we opened the door to the public, I was running around trying to collect cardboard boxes so that I could cut holes in the top and use a marker on the side to write donations so that like maybe the people who came into our space would be willing to drop a $10 bill or $20 bill in the, in the box, you know? And that was me who was doing that. I was the one who's like, oh, we have to try to raise money, you know? Like, so I've always kind of had that side of me. And then I just went full full blown on that. You know, I just, I realized that the best thing I could do to support the creative activity of the, of the group was to help keep it sustained, sustained by, by resources, by capital. Um, so it's a creative act. I mean, it's a creative process and like, you know, I'm lucky enough to have been given the second and third and fourth chances in my life, you know, cause I've been convicted of shoplifting, you know, and I was, I shop, I got arrested twice uh, for shoplifting and I, and there's still one conviction on my, on my record. And, um, but yet I was given second, third, fourth, fifth chances to prove myself, to, to show integrity, to show that I'm an honest person, to show that I'm a good person. And, um, I worked my ass off to get there. I worked tirelessly over the last decade to like hold myself and Meow Wolf in uh, integrity and to do good to investors. So it's not like it's like, it's not like I'm a white dude and therefore like every, that's how everything came for me. Um, we worked, we worked our asses off for this, but I also do recognize that like, um, you know, I, I am not, I'm not sure that, that, that a woman or a person who's not white would be, would have been given the same sort of chances, you know, that I was given. Um, honestly, you know, if somebody had said, sorry, Vince, we can't invest in you because you have a sketchy background, I wouldn't have argued with them. 
because it was true, you know? Luckily, we have people who trusted me. Luckily, I was able to be an honest and upstanding person um, in how I handled investment and how I handled people's, other people's money. But like, you know, that's just been a lot of what I've realized lately is like, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the color of my skin and I'm grateful for, for, for my gender um, because I really do believe that my career would have been on a different trajectory if, if, if I didn't, if I wasn't a white man, you know? Uh, Vince, you, um, you've, I've read that you've, you've mentioned that on your journey at, at Millwall, especially when it, like, it became what it is now, uh, you had to learn concepts on the fly. And to me, that was, um, uh, that was so true because we, a lot of us, we tend to think that we have to sell this image, that we know everything, that we have everything under control. And a lot of the times that tends to blow up in our face. And that, I think I've told her once the story when I, in my early beginnings, um, I'm a filmmaker and I was told that I had to set up this rig for this uh, slider. I had no fucking idea how to do it. But I felt that I had to act as if I could do it, right? So I'm there for 15 minutes trying to put it together. And they're asking me, do you know how? Yes, yes, I know how. I just couldn't tell them, no, I don't know how. Uh, yeah. Later on, I, uh, I learned that, you know what? It's just best if you just admit and just say, you know what? I don't know how to do this, but I'll figure it out. And that's where I sort of understood the value of honesty and going back to what Hale has uh, said uh, about your article, which I think was very earnest and there's a lot of honesty in it. What do you think is the value and power of honesty and how, how much honesty do you think is good? Because too much honesty can be a bad thing. So what do you think about that concept of honesty, especially nowadays? I don't think that there's too much, there's such thing as too much honesty. Um, I think that there's, there is a con there is a there is a concept of too much information you know always be honest like always be authentic but think about what it is that you're saying and think about what it is that which honest comment you're going to make and how you, how your your honest comment whatever it might be how it might impact others and how um And is it achieving, is your honest expression going to achieve a desired outcome? And with that, like your honesty actually becomes a tool for creating and making happen what you want to see happen. And many people will be confused by this because they'll see your honesty potentially as a, manip as a manipulation. Because you're actually just, you're, on, you're being honest, but you're doing so strategically in a way that like gets you a result. And, um, but as long as it's honest, as long as it's authentic, as long as it's like, it is how you feel, it's earnest, as you said, then you shouldn't be ashamed of it. You shouldn't be concerned. No one should be concerned about it. And actually it's going to resonate with people. Honesty and authenticity resonates Um, far more than crafted message or far more than um, pretending like you know something, you know, like you said. Um, 
And so I, w- I would say the exploration of honesty and authenticity in conjunction with um, seeking out what you want and, and, and trying to make happen what you want to make happen. The combination of those two, those two things is a really interesting process for people to just like work with on, on their own and to ask themselves like, a, am I being honest? Because the answer should always be yes. And if you're not, then you need to like check yourself. And B, am I, am I communicating or am I acting in a direction that is of my choosing? And if you can be honest and authentic and also acting in, and, and speaking in a direction that is, um, that is your, of your choosing and towards a goal that is of your choosing, then you're living in alignment with your reality, your present reality, which is honesty, and your future reality, which is your future goals. And there's alignment there. So I don't know if that made sense or not, but I think that that's like a really actually difficult thing for people to do, both of those things in conjunction. Um, Because sometimes in order to reach that future goal, we feel like we need to lie or we like we need to create something that isn't real and it's like like those things should never be out of alignment like be present to the reality of the moment be present to the honesty of who you are in the moment and what you feel in a moment while also directing yourself towards your future goals and if those can be in alignment that's powerful you're like you're an honest authentic you know being at that point so vince right now that you mentioned honest and authenticity and because this is going to lead to something interesting what would you describe your authenticity how would you describe your authenticity authenticity authentic authenticity uh, yeah i'm sorry <laughs> mixing spanish in my mind english yeah. in my tongue it's yeah <laughs> a shit show yeah what makes you authentic vince what makes you authentic yeah um i don't know you got to check you know you sort of got to check yourself sometimes like um our brains, you know, there's this thing called, you know, there's this, this concept that people bring up called muscle memory, um, you know, uh, habit. I think that like we create muscle memory, we create reaction, we create tones of voice and certain words even sometimes. Um, basically, we create a character called the identity. And the identity is like a bunch of different muscle memories put together. And it's like, I'm Vince and Vince is a series of these things. Right. And it's like, it's a, it's the way you talk. It's the words you use. It's the, 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 um, the hand motions, the gestures, um, you know, it's all these things, even though that construction of that identity started off as a pretty authentic effort, it soon becomes sort of a, um, a, a default setting. And it's really important to always check that default setting, like to, to, to be in the presence of yourself and ask yourself like, wait, did I really want to say that? Did I really want to like sound like that? Did I really want to like, you know, and kind of check your default setting and, and, and even speak about it. Because if you can like speak about yourself and speak about your own default setting and speak about your own identity, then you start to tap into um, a less fabricated self because the identity is a fabricated itself. It's like a, it's a costume that we put on and it's, it's a little bit less authentic than the voice that's maybe observing or the, the, 
the eyes that are observing the, the, the costume self. So it's like always sort of checking that is an important part of it. I would say like be your own devil's advocate. So if you feel really strongly about something, stop yourself in mid argument and be like, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe this is actually like, you know, if you're in an argument with somebody else about something like allow yourself to see how they're right. Allow yourself to see how you're wrong. And I think in that, there's a more authentic self. Again, like art, the way we see the world is a product of our costumed identity. And so like, we will stand by certain things. And it's like, do I have to stand by that? Like, is that, is there, is that really truth? Or is that just like a perspective that I created over time through a series of characteristics? And like, stop yourself and break that habit, break that default and consider the other side, you know? Like, I get accused a lot of sort of being political and playing both sides, but honestly, like I play both sides because I actually want to know what the other side is feeling. I actually want to feel empathy and like try to be in a place where I'm not just being driven by um, instinct, knee-jerk reaction, you know? And so I feel like in, in that exploration, there, there, there can be found a lot of authenticity, you know? you got to make sure you do it. You know, there's a lot of people who play both sides and it's inauthentic. It's, it's, you know, there's so many politicians out there that play both sides and it's like the opposite of authenticity. It's the opposite of honesty. And so, you know, you got to be careful. Um, and so, I don't know. I, so, oh, oh, here's another great thing for authenticity is uh, spon being spontaneous. Like you've got to leave room in your brain and your voice and your character to act in a way that is on in the moment like crafting always crafting always scripting always like that's not authentic authentic is in the moment reaction in the moment sort of like discovering of an of a concept and leave space for that you know um and that's what happens with the identity the identity becomes a script for the self and there's no room in spontaneity for that, you know, for that identity that when you when you become a script like that. So it's like, you know, speak with some spontaneity, act in spontaneous ways, do spontaneous things, like um, always try to break your own construct of normalcy. And I think somewhere in there is some is 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 an authentic self. And does that lead you to the decision of? Stepping out as CEO from Meow Wolf. Yeah, that's a really good. That's a really good observation. I mean, I think what I was feeling in my life at that time was trapped in trapped in in a trapped in a set of parameters and a set of expectations that was not true to me anymore. And also, I knew it's like kind of going back to what you know what was said earlier is like. I was starting to pretend like I knew what I was doing. And that was a big red flag. It's like, Oh shit. Like I'm having to like pretend to be a leader. And I, I always, I up until that point, I was able to like actually instinctively be a leader, but I was starting to have to have to pretend. And it made me realize like, I'm just, I'm, I have, a, I have growth to do. Um, and there's other people in the room who are better leaders than me. And so that was the big realization was like, there's people in our company who can lead with a steadier hand and can lead with 
less emotionality. And so, and, and so I stepped aside to cut, you know, and provided space for them to take over. And I, it was a really good call. Like we're in a stronger position now as a company than we ever have been. Uh, Vince, you've, um, you've mentioned that uh, in any given city, uh, people daily, you know, they, they walk or they drive through different parts of town and pretty much everything looks the same, you know, same shapes, same textures, same colors, and something they don't even um, um, uh, realize about it, realize that is, hap that is uh, happening. Uh, and sometimes they need or we need like this visual shock, uh, which I think that is what New Wolf has provided. And it made me think about art because I don't know, some people say, some people say that it's not necessary that a piece of art has to be this shock to the senses. Um, and, you know, when you take New Wolf and compare it, I mean, I've, I spent 10 days in Albuquerque and Santa Fe about uh, close to five years ago. I was shooting this documentary. And the thing I noticed, especially in Santa Fe, was that like a lot of, especially the houses, they look the same, you know? And I even joked around with, with a, a couple of like people of the crew, I was like, man, I could easily get lost here because it it sort of felt like this, um, I don't know what you call it, this house of mirrors, where there's just like, you're, everything is like, I, I don't know. And when you look at Millwolf, it's something completely, you know, off script. Uh, do you think, that art has to be that, like it has to be a shock to the senses. Yeah, so I think what you're kind of what you're kind of getting at, or at least how I resonate with what you're saying, is art represents the unknown. Art represents possibility. Um, art represents like the 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 newly explored um, and the newly discovered and. You know, if it's if it's if it's reproduction, it's it doesn't necessarily maintain its artness. You know, like if it's uh, if it's productized, it doesn't really maintain its artness. Um, it's really art when it is dabbling in new concepts and new expression and unknown, sort of the unknown realm. And with that, it's gonna. If, if, if you are, if you're, if you're doing that, you're going to be disrupting the norm. You know, the norm is the known, the known, the known of our world is the norm of our world. And when you do something unknown and you present something unknown, it will disrupt the normalcy. And that's the power of creativity. That's the power of art because like, you know, basically like, And the way that we do it, like kind of our, what we call our God particle, is that we like to provide the accessible unknown. So it's unknown, like a lot of art is, but we do it in a way that's accessible so that it's easy for people to venture into it. A gallery by itself is already fairly inaccessible. A museum even presents itself as inaccessible. Meow Wolf wants to be accessible because we want as many people to experience the unknown as possible. And we want their normalcy to be disrupted. And so a perfect example of this is the fridge in the house where somebody walks into the kitchen. The kitchen is something that's very familiar to them. It's something that they've seen a million times. 
and there's a refrigerator right in front of them and that's also very familiar to them. It's very accessible. And when they open the fridge, they realize that it's not a normal fridge and they can walk through it and, and they have no idea what's on the other side. The, un the unknown is on the other side of the fridge. And so we give them this very accessible you know, access point to the unknown. And what happens in that moment that's very special, um, that's transformative, is a person basically thinks if this fridge can be different than what this fridge is supposed to be, then maybe the world can be different than what the world is supposed to be. And then if the world is supposed to be, if the world can be different than what the world is supposed to be, then maybe I as a person, I as an individual can be different than how I'm supposed to be. And when they walk through the fridge, they're moving from normalcy to unknown, not just in the physical space, but from normalcy to the unknown within their own personal self. And, and this is where they start to break free of the identity and step into the possibility that, and that's what's special about art. Art can pull people from their own uh, predictable identity and into an unpredictable future self. And that's, that's creativity. That's art. That's, that's what we're talking about here. And that's why we're so, that's why we're so obsessed with this is because we feel like through art, through creativity, through Meow Wolf, people can crack open new possibilities in their own life. You know, it's an access point to, to that. You know what? That's, that's really right. Um, because normally when you enter the house, everything seems kind of normal but when you open the refrigerator door you're just into yeah. the other universe right and, 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 and you know so the refrigerator and the washing machine are like really popular totally <laughs> they love it I yeah. almost got stuck in the washing machine <laughs> so I had to lose a couple of pounds and <laughs> so I could slide through there yeah that's no, hilarious like people we oftentimes say like you know if we learned anything it's that people desperately want to go through their household appliances you know <laughs> It's like, it's like almost everybody's had, this, I guess everybody's had this dream of there being a world behind, a world behind their house, you know, like, a, and, and we're tapping into that, you know, it totally, totally worked. You know, but that's really interesting because let me tell you something about our, our background, right? Which we find this as inspirational. John and I started off Aerotrain as a collective and we started off doing theater, actually. It was our first gig. And then we started with the short films, and now we're actually turning into a company, which, uh, which uh, I mean, right now that we hear you talk and we're listening to your background, that you also started with theater, you are an organizer. I mean, it just inspires us. But also something that, and, 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 I, and I firmly say it, something that I feel that we have in common with you, Vince, is that you love Santa Fe. You love your home. That's the way we feel about here, El Paso and Juarez. We love our cities and that's part of our identity, you know? And, and I guess that when coming back to the uniqueness, that's something that if they ask us, is that, okay, we are unique because we love our city so much and want to bring art and all of these wonderful things here and want to, we want to make a living out of this. I think, I think that, that that's something that you offer. And every time I, I look at your post and every time something that you write, is you have a deep love for Santa Fe. And especially with the last post that you provided that 
right now with what you mentioned, the white privilege and everything, it seems that you want to offer opportunities to women and people of color and minorities because that's something that I've noticed in Meowulf. There's a lot of diversity, a lot of people, and that's amazing. And it makes you feel really comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome that you, that's awesome that you, um, you feel that because that's definitely the intention and it's where our heart is at. Um, the group is a very diverse group. Meow Wolf has, you know, all people of, of all, all, all sorts of backgrounds. Um, and, you know, I like, I like how you, I like how you, how you're, you're, you're anchoring to the love of home. Cause I think that's a very powerful motivator. It's a very, it's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, energy that can be pulled from your love for your, for your home, for your location and wanting to make your place a better place, you know, and make your people, you know, um, a more thriving, a more thriving people. Um, tap into that, you know, like use that as a generating force and uh, allow for like your city, your home, your community, to be bigger than you, more important than you. Um, and that allows for, that allows for collaboration and um, group organizing, you know, in a, in a whole new, in a whole new way. I, I can honestly say that everybody at Meow Wolf was driven by Santa Fe. Like that was the first real, that was the heart of why we did what we did was because we, love it here and we just wanted to see it um, expressed on a global scale in in a way that we saw it you know we want it to be relevant globally and we wanted to bring opportunity to young people and we wanted to bring opportunity to new generations and uh yeah so i you know i think that like it's kind of the, that's the engine. That's the fuel that makes it all drive is the love for home and the love for you and the love for the people around you. And, and I noticed that also with what you posted, because during the pandemic that you helped a lot of people because that is, you know, a lot of people do that because, uh, you know, it, it benefits your taxes or you look as a better public figure. But when I, when I read about it, it seems that you really did it because you care about your community. And that's something important. So I, I want, I really want to ask you, okay, what's the next step? What's the next goal for Vince? That's a good question. I mean, I'm going to, you know, continue to be a part of Meow Wolf, like, you know, forever. And I want to be a significant part of Meow Wolf um, moving forward. And I would, I would, I'd love to be back in a position of leadership and I'd love to, um, you know, take the company to new heights again, but I want to, I really want to do that from a place of, you know, whether it's with Meow or, or, or in any other way, you know, I want to provide a platform that um, radically shifts the equitability of voices uh, in the world. Um, I want to be able to use 
my own platform or Meowl's platform or any business that I'm a part of in the future to tell this, to help tell the stories of people who, whose stories are, uh, who, people whose stories are hard to uh, elevate to the mainstream. Um, I don't think enough people are given space to be creatives, to be their creative self and to express their creative self. And, you know, our media landscape is like, you think back when, when we, all we had was television and how there was so little amount of space for people to, for diverse voices to be expressed. Then the internet came along and luckily we've now have, we have a lot more different, um, uh, we have a lot more diverse voices being expressed via the internet. Well, something similar needs to happen out in the world in, in locations because like the venues that are, that are exist, that exist in the world, whether it's theater venues or art venues or uh, music venues or, um, you know, the venues are still not sharing diverse enough voices and the world doesn't reflect diverse enough voices. So it's like, I, I want to be part of, I want to be part of, um, companies and initiatives and projects that crack open a platform of expression so that we can all hear each other better and we can all experience each other better. Like, that's just exciting to me. It's exciting to me to, to, to imagine a world painted by the cultures and the voices of a huge range of people like that the world is a canvas that has really mostly yet to be painted and that what it's going to be painted by are like voices of all shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds, genders. And we will be able to experience this like bouquet of society together, you know, the internet's kind of like that, but it's like, we're just on like, you know, Twitter's kind of like that or Facebook's kind of like that. Instagram's kind of like that, but it's like, it's digital and it's in your palm and it's only, it's, you know what I mean? I want like the, I, I want to be a part of an initiative that makes the world as like diverse and as expressive as like we have found through, through, through the internet and through social media. So, you know, that's, that's like, that's going to be my, you know, that's going to be at the core of my life's work. I don't know where that takes me. I don't know, like, I don't know where that takes me, but that, that's definitely at the heart of everything that I want to do. Uh, Vince, you, uh, I, I read that you said that the, one of the key things about Mia Wall, especially at the beginning, was that uh, you guys were able to give up individualism for collectivism. And that is, like from my experience in the art world, that is so hard to do because as artists, we have like this inherited selfishness that we, for some reason, we have, we like to impose our view uh, over, over somebody else's view, especially when we're working on this project. Uh, so my question is, how do you guys manage to do that to get this group of artists or, or you know, maybe not artists, maybe some other work in different fields. How do you manage to get everyone to work? Uh, yeah, on the single goal. How, how do you manage, How do you guys manage to do that? Yeah. Um, 
It was, it was largely a, a, uh, out of necessity, to be honest. Like, we didn't have any resources. The, you know, we were all just so broke um, when we started Meow Wolf. And yet we wanted to create in such a big way. So it's like we had these competing variables. On one hand, we were broke. But on the other hand, we wanted to build really big, big things, you know. And so the best resource that we had were, were other people. That was like, you know, other people willing to give up their time to collaborate. So it was like, you know, when somebody walked through the door of Meow Wolf, it was, it would be really dumb of us to like resist their participation or to reject them because that would be like letting go of a, of a very resourceful individual, you know, no matter who they are, no matter what they could do, like their two hands, their brain, their, their set of ideas, like we can use that, you know, we could, and, and it's, I think that was sort of a lot of the, a lot of the thinking at first. And then we just started to like really enjoy the, the, the successes and the failures of collaboration, you know, and like learning about how to communicate and how to use your words and how to uh, be conscious of your own emotions and how to make space for other people. Um, you know, collaboration, this is something that I've, I've said, I've said before, it's like, you know, sometimes people think that collaboration is, I, is, is I'm going to bring a hundred percent of myself and you're going to bring a hundred percent of yourself and we're going to figure it out. And like, we're going to, we're going to together both be a hundred percent of ourself. But actually what it's more like is like, I'm going to bring a hundred percent of myself. You're going to bring a hundred percent of yourself. And we're both going to have to give up 50% of who we are to allow 50% of the other person into us. <laughs> like we're going to have to like let go of who we are and let in who, who you are and become almost a new individual. Like, anyone who's stubborn wants to maintain that hundred percent, like they're, they're going to be really hard to work with. And so, you know, there was a lot of like compromising and a lot of like, I would say like amalgamation, um, fusion of fusion of people, fusion of character to, to get to a place where collaboration could even happen. And it's empathy. That's what it is. It's like, it's admitting you're wrong and having empathy for another person. And it's like stepping, stepping aside for a moment and allowing the other person to step, to step up. So there's a lot within that, like the, the, the letting go of being right is a really big thing. Like just being able to say like, yeah, you know, I'm wrong. And like, that is the biggest that's one of the biggest tools for, for how one can collaborate with, with someone else. At the end of the days, being humble and receptive of other people's opinion. Yep. Humility for sure. And the best way to stay humble is by like keeping things like the universe close to you, keeping death close to you, keeping uh, people who have passed away, you know, in your past close to you you know, realizing that we only have a short time on this earth, you know, that like the universe has, is, is billions and billions and billions of years old and we are nearly specks of life um, on this whole thing. And 
ultimately you get to a point of God. You get to a point of like, I'm humbled because I'm in, I'm in the presence of a creation and of a creator that is like, that is profound. And, 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 and that when you're humbled by the creation that you're a part of, you can also connect to the creator that you are and, and connect to the creative that you are. And so it's like, it's, it's kind of like in that humility where you can actually be a more effective creator because you're appreciating and humbled by the creation that's all around you and open to the creation that's all around you. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've had a, I've really, I've really enjoyed that process of like, who's the creator in me? Who's the creative in me? Where does choice come from? You know, where does willpower come from? And then how is that kind of connected to, you know, the larger creative, the larger creation that we're a part of? I'm not like a spiritual guy. Like I didn't grow up in church or anything like that, but like, you know, I know that there's a connection there. No, you know, and, and that makes a lot of sense because, uh, I mean, you mentioned it at the beginning of this interview, the God particle, which is part of, uh, of ourselves. And, and I was actually going to bring that up that we know you're really spiritual and that is important in business. You know, I had a, a professor in management and he was uh, educated by Jesuits, but the way he professed business wasn't just like, um, like any other professor that they just want to communicate you a business lesson to, for you to make money. It was conveyed in such a spiritual way that every time I talk to him, it's like if I listen to a priest or a pastor or some spiritual guide. And, and whenever you align that balance between your spirituality, business, art, your craft, all of that stuff, you make something beautiful. And not that something that you mentioned, I've been writing a shit ton of notes in the conversation. Uh, something that you said, you have to connect with the creator yeah. so that you can connect with the creator that you are. Yeah. And, and I see that you appreciate nature. You're always hiking. You're everywhere but home, man. <laughs> hiking significant nature is huge, you know? Getting, for me, I like to get up high. I like to get up with big views, you know? And look across and be like, that's a big horizon because to me, that's, those views lead to humility. You're at the top of a mountain, at the top of a peak, and you can just be like, wow, you know, this, this, this fucking world is beautiful. And nature and beauty and art and the connection between nature, beauty, art. Um, you know, I think it's like a, who was, who was the, uh, the philosopher, I think it's Emerson, who did a lot of um, meditations on the connectivity between beauty, nature, and art. Um, and it's all, it's all centered around the creator. You know, it's all centered around the, cre the, the, the act of creation, the act of life, making something, making life happen. Um, but humans are, an, humans are an incredible species because we can both recognize the beauty of creation and then also create ourselves. you know? So we're kind of like in this in-between zone and, and having been created. So like, we're like, we are the created and we are the creator at the same time. And that's, you know, kind of a really powerful place to be as a, as a species. Hey Vince, so something that we want to ask you for a favor. 
Okay. We want to do this with you, okay? When this virus is over, we would love for you to be here in El Paso. I mean, maybe you already visited El Paso before, but we can do some hiking at Waco Tanks or eat some uh, Chico's Tacos. They're not paying us. They're not paying us, okay? okay. I mean, it can hurt your stomach, but it's worth it, okay? <laughs> but, it's going to hurt your soul. Yeah, we really want you here, you know? I mean, so you could, uh, we could, you know, make – take you to a little tour and see and show you why we love this city. And, and yeah. uh, we would like to do that in Santa Fe, you know, you, especially you taking us in a tour in Santa Fe, showing us your favorite spots in the city, your That's favorite awesome. restaurants. We would love to do that. I mean, we want this virus to be over so that we can actually meet in yeah. person and talk about all of this stuff. Yeah, I would, I would love that. And I got to say, like, I've been to every American, like pretty much every American city um, in the last few years. I've traveled, um, all around the country and to some cities around the world. And I can honestly say this, that El Paso is one of my favorite cities. Um, I've been there uh, three or four times and the hospitality is great. The people are great. The vibrancy, there's, it's so incredible to be, to be on the border at a time when there's so much border politics to like also feel as safe as you as I feel like there's such a there's such like a this misconception out in the world that El Paso is a dangerous place and it's like actually it's like super safe no. <laughs> but, um, you know it's and I loved it and the art I mean the art the creativity the designers the murals the you know the pub the the, the chalk on this the the chalk walks and like it just it just has vibrancy you know and then at the same time it has it's a big city but it has like small town heart Oh yeah, you know? and like you can feel that, um, and I, 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 you know, I love like, so yeah, I, I want to go back. I'd love to go back. I'd love to hang out with you guys. You know, I've been able to meet some, some folks at the Fab Lab. Um, I've been able to meet some folks who are developers there, some artists that are there, um, and just you know, it feels like a sister city to us. You know, yeah. and so like, you know, I, I would love to see a Meow Wolf in El Paso at some point. I would love that. And, um, you know, but then, yeah, having you come up to Santa Fe too, you know, let's do oh, that. Yeah, we love it. And, and you know something beautiful, John, you, you, you have to agree, me, agree with me on this one. Okay, Albuquerque is a big city, but let's not forget that the capital of New Mexico is Santa Fe. <laughs> hard. That's the heart of New Mexico. Yeah. Santa Fe, Española, Northern New Mexico. Yeah. There's this, this is the... The, the heart of the heart of New Mexico. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Vince, um, uh, I, I just have one final question for you. Uh, you've, you, you've, uh, uh, I read that you, you've mentioned that there is this crisis of imagination and I couldn't help to link it to films, uh, especially like now there's like the, the era of, of remakes, you know, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and there's, there's this, um, uh, there's this idea of saying that they say that everything has been made, everything has been done. And to me, it's sort of like this, I don't know, become like this flag that people wave around. It's this excuse like to not to try harder. And I, I, I remember when uh, I think it was my first year of art school, two teachers told us this. And one of them said to us, everything has been done. So don't even bother. Find alternatives. And another one told us, don't try to invent a new color. And that always sort of like ticked me off because 
that was like, man, you're like really setting the bar real low. And from, from your, from your perspective and experience, what is the best way to dodge that? This is a tough question. I, I am like a hundred percent aligned with you and the era of remakes, the era of sequels, like the fact that like a, mo a movie like Back to the Future could not be made today. A movie like The Goonies could not be made today. You know, none of like, none of our favorite movies could be made today. Remakes of those movies could be made today, but the original could not be made today. It's sad to think. Um, so the problem is largely, I think, in how creative projects are financed. And creative projects are, are you know, usually financed by investors and in, in, in financial institutions who want to protect their investment. And doing something that's completely unknown and original is a risky venture. It's a risky, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a risky project. Doing something that has predictability to it that maybe customers already have an awareness of or is based on an intellectual property that is already successful or one that people are aware of is a lot safer. So what's important, there's two ways, to, there's sort of two ways to go about it. To avoid having to remake other work, to avoid you know, the unoriginality of that, you know, you've got to build up an organic following and an organic uh, fan base where you can go to investors and say, I'm gonna create original work and I know I'm gonna have a fan base that's gonna support it. And so you don't have to worry, it's risk-free because I already have a fan base. A good example of this is Duncan Trussell who has, that, who has a podcast, I don't know if you know, about, know, about, you know, if you know Duncan Trussell, but he, you know, he then has uh, this animated series on Netflix called The Midnight Gospel and you know, he already has a huge following in podcast world. So he was able to leverage that following to do something crazy and, and totally original on Netflix. And you know, so there's that route. The other route is that you point to other original work and you say, look, Meow Wolf is successful. You, know, you can point to Meow Wolf and say, Meow Wolf was successful because they did something original if they had done the Game of Thrones experience or if they had done the Star Wars experience, they wouldn't have been as successful as they were. So you start to point to other examples in the world where originality matters. And I really hope that we're at a point where in, a, in, the, in the marketplace where originality does matter, where actually it's riskier to do a sequel or it's riskier to do a remake than it is to do a, a, you know, a good piece of original work. That, it might take some time to get there, but I really do think that future generations are going to push back against the unoriginality of remakes. Um, and, you know, it's something that we at Meow Wolf are, are having to explore as well. Like, you know, we know that doing, remaking an exhibit is much more economically feasible for us, you know? So we have to look at that and say, and accept it. I mean, we can't be stubborn. We have to say like, it's probably makes more sense for us to kind of remake an exhibit than to do an, a completely new one. So then what we do though, is we think about like, how do we, how do we make everything we do special, even if it is a remake, even if it is, um, you know, 
replicated. And, and that's, you know, another way to avoid it is by, and I think that there's been success, some success. Some people have taken stories that already exist or re, you know, have redone things or done sequels, but they still add their own creative risk to it. And, and they add their own imagination to it in a way that's successful, you know? And so it's, it's just like always stay in the realm of the unknown if you can. Like stay in the realm of the unknown, even if what you're working on is paint by numbers. Like stay in the realm of the unknown in your own mind, even when you're painting by numbers, if that makes sense. So I think we're about to wrap this up. Uh, I don't know if you have one final question or comment. Uh, Vince, uh, Vince uh, well, I guess that you just mentioned something interesting, you know, later trying to bring Mia Wolf in El Paso. I think we could later discuss about something like that. I think it will be great. There's a lot of great artists here in El Paso that love Mia Wolf, and unfortunately they haven't had the chance to travel all the way to Santa Fe. So I, I, think, I think it will be something interesting uh, if you're open to that later on, right? And uh, well, I mean, we have, you know, there's, we have Vegas to finish, we have Denver to finish, we have some cities, you know, we have projects right now, but like, you know, we have a long trajectory ahead of us. And I, I can tell you that El Paso has been one of our favorite cities. The, the, the people of El Paso and the fan base that we have there has been amazing. You know, we have, we have a lot of people from El Paso who come up to visit Meow Wolf and, and, um, and, and the love that we have in your city is awesome. So yeah, let's, let's keep the conversations going there because I think it's, you know, hopefully we can do something at some point. But I'd also, at the same time, I'd encourage the artists of El Paso and the entrepreneurs of El Paso to consider, you know, creating immersive art and creating your own activation too, you know? And you don't have to wait for Meow Wolf to do it. Like, you know, we have a blueprint and you can look at our blueprint and say like, oh yeah, we can do it here too, you know? And, and, and we're, you know, we are supportive of that, of course. Well, that's amazing. But uh, Vince, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate this. Uh, man, I've been taking a shit ton of notes. That's <laughs> something that I always do because uh, something that we do is we learn from, from the people that we interview. We learn from, from folks like you. And uh, it's really amazing to have you here. Thank you very much for your time. I know you're a really busy man. And uh, thanks for sharing us your thoughts, your experiences your spirituality, everything. We really hope this is not the last interview and we hope to have you here in El Paso soon after this virus is over. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the time. Thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, well, that was Mr. Vince Cattlebeck. I don't know if I pronounced it correctly. Pretty good. Uh, good, right? Uh, and uh, Jael Sparza and myself am John Costa. And thank you so much, Vince, for helping us fill the gap. This was Ever Podcast, Fill the Gap.